Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to the Yahoo Sports College Podcast. I'm Pat Forty, and I am joined again by Pete Thamel for the climactic, dramatic conclusion of our three-part mega-series, Picking the Bowl Games. We know that you were sitting on the edge of your seat through the Camellia Bowl. <laughs> you were biting your nails, getting through the Red Box Bowl, the First Responder Bowl, the Belk Bowl. Now it's time to get down to the big-time bowls. We're going to pick the New Year's Six. We're going to pick the playoff. We're going to get in-depth on these. We're no longer speed-picking. We're not just going to give you our 30-second blow-by thoughts. We're going to give you, for hope, perhaps, I hope, a little more depth on these games. Pete, are you ready to, uh, to provide the listenership uh, with the important information on the important bowl games. Yes, that was like a, that was a polite way to be like, don't ask me about my kids' New Year's plans. Don't like go on a <laughs> random rant about UTEP and El Paso. Like, actually talk about football. This could be the most concentrated portion of straight football talk in the history of our podcast. <laughs> it really like could. I I'm don't a- think I don't think we've ever had an uninterrupted conversation about football for an entire podcast. But we're actually going to attempt to do that here. And I would think most of our best listeners just, like, clicked off and went to listen to, like, Serial or something. (laughs) They're like, you mean you're not going to rip gender reveals? Then never mind, I'm out. (laughs) Yeah. No, sorry. No, we we are going to talk football here. You know, there will probably be some smartassery along the way. But that's, (laughs) uh, you know, we can't do it really any other way. Yeah. Wetzel's definitely not listening to this podcast. There's zero chance Dan will listen to this podcast. (laughs) None. The more football you talk, the less interested Dan is. So we'll make up for that, though, because we know some of you actually do want to hear this stuff. And many of you do want to probably place a wager on these games. And we're going to give you our thoughts on which side we would wager if we were putting down a shekel or two in a bowl pool or otherwise. And we do want to uh, apprise you of, again, our live edition of the Iowa Sports College podcast coming from the site of the national championship in the Bay Area Uh, National Championship Weekend, we're going to be in downtown San Jose at Uproar Brewing Company on Friday, January the 4th at 8 o'clock local time. Show is free to attend. We'd love to have you out there. You can heckle us. You can bring us tribute, whatever the heck you want to do. We will have prizes and giveaways for you. There will be beer specials. There will be custom brews made for both playoff teams that are competing for the championship. You can get those yourselves. And you can listen to us yak. Pete and myself and Dan Wetzel 
And then we're going to have a listener Q&A after the podcast. So uh, space for the event is limited. So we would like to have you, but you need to probably reserve your spot now. Go to yahoosports.com backslash college podcast. That's yahoosports.com backslash college podcast. Uh, so I said six games. They start December 29th. We're not. We'll, we'll hold the bowl, the the playoff bowls for last, and we'll start with the uh, the Peach Bowl noon game, December 29th. Florida, Michigan, Michigan's favored by seven and a half. But here's the deal, Pete. We know what Jim Harbaugh thinks of chicken, right? It's a nervous bird. He doesn't want anybody eating chicken. This is the Chick Fil A Peach Bowl. Mm. I think there's bad karma all over this game for the Wolverines. But I want I want your thoughts on this. Yeah, my thought is, never mind, we're actually not going to talk about football. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think the, the the first thing in this game is that, uh, you know, that you, you have to look at who's playing, right? When you when you have these these caliber uh, these caliber programs, and I think Michigan not having Devin Bush in the middle, like I've said all year, Devin White and Devin Bush, Devin White from LSU, Devin Bush from Michigan, are, are very similar player, sideline to sideline, middle linebacker types. Think of Roquan Smith for Georgia last year with the Bears now, and I think that is huge for Michigan, along with Rashawn Gary not playing so those are like and again Gary didn't play at times this year so maybe that's not as big of a deal but I think like when you think of Michigan you think of Don Brown and you think of defense other than one certain Saturday this year when they gave up 62 and I think a lot of the identity of that defense will not be on the field that day I don't have any like overly compelling feelings towards Florida but I do feel like there was a blueprint laid by Ryan Day and Urban Meyer in the Ohio State-Michigan game that Florida is – it's called run-crossing patterns and wheel routes um, – that Florida d- could take advantage of. Now, Dwayne Haskins diagnosed pretty much every Michigan blitz correctly. And at the end of the day, we don't know if Florida's offense is mature enough to, uh, to to do that, to have the understanding against Don Brown, who loves to blitz and confuse, et cetera. So I am going to take Florida somewhat reluctantly in this. Um, I do think it'll be a pretty good game. I do think Michigan's defensive personnel losses are going to be the key. And, uh, yeah, I feel like Felipe Franks can do just enough to move the ball, and Florida wins like 17 to 10. Yeah, I, you know what? I, as a seven and a half point dog, I love dog. I love the Gators to not just cover but to win. Um, you you amply explained some of the re- my reasoning. Uh, players who aren't playing for Michigan on defense and what Ohio State exposed on that defense. And by the way, Urban Meyer and Dan Mullen, you know, birds of a feather. Uh, there, I would imagine, could be some. Uh, some ideolo- ideology and, and scouting exchange there to, to perhaps help Mullen along the way. Mullen's also a good bowl coach. He's five and two, and that includes destroying a Michigan team once when he was the coach at Mississippi State. Uh, Felipe Franks is not Dwayne Haskins, but he's playing better uh, than he has his entire career the last few games of the season. They, they, I think they, they finally got on the same page with him, and Mullen's got him doing some things better than he has been before uh I I agree with you that losing uh Devin Bush is a big loss except for my gosh he couldn't cover anybody and that that's one area where uh Ohio State exposed him the other was Brandon Watson the cornerback who just got smoked and I would imagine they're going to go after poor Brandon Watson much the way Ohio State did 
uh, and see what they can take advantage of there. You just wonder with Michigan, uh, Pete, you know, how much of the air is out of the sails after thinking playoff, 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 and then being destroyed by Ohio State, your rival, you know, and it's like, okay, we're done here. You know, did they bring any mojo into this game at all? So um, I'm with you. Jim Harbaugh and the Nervous Bird, bad combination, unmotivated team perhaps. Florida has some advantages. They can probably take advantage. I, I like the Gators there. We go then from there to uh, to New Year's Day for the rest of the New Year's Six, other than the playoff games. Um, the uh, Fiesta Bowl, uh, 1 o'clock in, uh, in Glendale. LSU against Central Florida. LSU favored by 7.5. UCF, your uh, back-to-back national champions. Pete, are you down with that? What do you think? Oh, you know where I sit on this because you <laughs> mocked me. In my confidence pool picks, I just think UCF is going to roll LSU. So um, I really think the flashes we've seen of Daryl Mack, like, again, he's not Mackenzie Milton, and we really do, again, wish Mackenzie Milton getting better. That was obviously one of the most awful moments of college football this year. Uh, I feel like Daryl Mack is going to keep things rolling. And, again, it's give a hoot factor we talked about on the last podcast picking games, right? This is the Super Bowl to break through the glass ceiling for UCF again, to prove they belong. There's, like, so much behind them. For LSU, it's like, well, let's not get hurt and not get embarrassed. Um, yeah, I, I feel like uh, I feel like this is going to be like a 38-21 win. For UCF, I, th- I think they roll them. I-, I I think they do exactly to LSU what they did to Auburn last year, and what they showed in that game because a pretty good Auburn team that won the West was that their skill players can flash the same way against the SEC as they can in the uh, AAC. And I and I feel like UCF will be able to run the ball. They'll spread them out. They'll go tempo. And uh, yeah, I I've been wrong on pretty much every LSU pick I've made this year, other than the Alabama game, which was the biggest layup of all time. So, I am uh, all in on the Knights, Pat. Wow, yeah, you're wrong on this one too. I have to say, I, I, I certainly a seven and a half point dog you're saying is going to win by seventeen. That 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 correct. Uh, perhaps, the only more outrageous pick you have made this year, by the way, was giving me Pittsburgh and forty in the ACC championship game, which did not work out well for you. What did so. it end up? Uh, like 17 or something or 21 uh, or whatever. I don't, oh, well. it was not 40, but you All gave right. me 40 points. So you can pretty much leave your Amex in your wallet in San Jose. Cause you're just going to be pulling <laughs> out random bets we've made that I'm going to have to, uh, that I'm going to have to pay up for. So. Yeah. yeah, well, all you have to worry about here is seven and a half. You don't have to win by 17, but if if Florida Central Florida covers the seven and a half, you're fine. And I, here's what I think. All right, I'm taking UCF to cover. I'm just not taking them to win. I, I, I just don't see it. I, I think the McKenzie-Milton loss will really come home to roost now. Daryl Mack has done well, no doubt about it. But that, he did it against Memphis. Memphis number 84 defense in America. Uh, that, that that doesn't necessarily prove a lot to me. LSU's the number 29 defense in America. And yes, there's a, you know, how focused are they? How much do they want to play? Here's another difference from the, from the Auburn situation last year. Auburn played a week later in the SEC championship game, got routed when they were thinking playoffs. I look at that situation and think that's different than LSU coming in here. LSU's had a, another week off. They weren't sitting there on the verge of being in the playoff. I think they'll be a little more ready to play. And I'm thinking even if some of the stars are out, the other guys, they've got good players there who can step in and perform. 
Uh, I just don't think this UCF team is as good as last year and certainly not without Mackenzie Milton. So I am taking the Tigers to win, but UCF to cover. So that's that's my thoughts there. Uh, the, the Rose Bowl, Pete, the granddaddy. Um, you know, and I have to say, all of the maudlin talk to me about the Rose Bowl is deserved because if you've been there and you have and I have, it's just gorgeous. Do you, I mean, I just love going to games there. Yes, absolutely. Even just like going to a random UCLA game in September is yeah. a treat there. I really, I really enjoy the setting. That said, I am not enough of a traditionalist where I think the Rose Bowl being played in this time slot should screw up the rest of the college football <laughs> world like it has for the last 20 years. So That's fair. You, 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 the Big Ten and Jim Delaney can take those nice sun, sunsets and shove them where the sun doesn't shine because the Rose Bowl <laughs> has impeded progress for decades in college football. I think we'd be it at has. eight teams right now if it wasn't for the Rose Bowl. So again, I like the Rose Bowl. I respect their tradition, but don't give me yeah. this like old-timey parade nonsense. Sorry, yeah. not buying it. No, seriously, the Tournament of Roses Parade, as much as anything else, has impeded the progress of college football. It's amazing. It's it's hard to believe, but it's true. And yes, I look, I love being there. I love being there on New Year's Day when it's that time of day and it's a 5 p.m. kickoff Eastern time and it's 2 p.m. local and the sun sets over the San Gabriels and you get that glow and yeah, it's it's very cool. But does it if we go a year without it, is college football dead? No, it's been it's been unbelievable. It's been ridiculous that uh, it's held us up. But hey, the Rose Bowl gets what it wants. They get their time slot and they get a Big Ten versus Pac-12 matchup, a traditional deal. And if you don't watch Jim Delaney, he's going to be sad. So you better turn in and watch. You also get Urban Meyer's last game for now until, you know, what happens happens. Who knows? Um, interesting game to me beyond just the the trappings of it all. Uh, Buckeyes, Huskies, Pete, Ohio State favored by seven. Give me your uh, your thoughts, please. I like Washington a lot in this game. I just feel like the snapshot we got of Ohio State versus Michigan is not a realistic snapshot of what the first 11 games were for the uh, for, for the Buckeyes. And I feel like Washington presents a lot of problems with a good offensive line, a tough run game with Miles Gaskin. I feel like Washington's tight ends will be the best tight ends that Ohio State has seen this season. Perfectly competent set of uh, receivers. And look, Ohio State has struggled against good offenses this year. Any 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 way you do it, Chris Peterson, obviously a great game coach, a lot of time to prepare. Now, the, the X factor here is this, and it's an interesting one. I mean, and you'd said it on a previous podcast, it'll be Urban Meyer's last game, and they'll carry him off the field in the sunset, and it'll be the Hollywood ending, and that could certainly happen. But you also have to remember, too, that this is a program that's in a lot of flux right now. You have Ryan Day taking over. You have maybe half of the assistant coaches may not have jobs. Like, how locked in have they been day-to-day in this bu- in that building at Ohio State for this game? And I do think that's a bigger factor than, than people are realizing. And that could actually weigh heavier on the result of the game more than, like, you know, send Urban out with a 90% winning percentage and, and all that stuff. So... I will take Washington. I think they'll win the game. I certainly think they'll cover the spread, but don't be surprised if the Buckeyes look like the Buckeyes we saw against Purdue and the Buckeyes we saw against Indiana, just sort of struggling and sputtering in times. Huh. Okay. What? All right. Let me ask you this. What What prompted the Michigan game? How did How did they look that good if, that's, if it wasn't the, uh, really them? Well, I think that the Michigan game was very simple and I should have written more about this. Uh, and I mentioned it in one column going in 
Ryan Day knows Don Brown better than any coach in the country. Yep. Ryan Day played against Don Brown's defenses when he was a quarterback. Ryan Day's brother played quarterback for Don Brown at UMass. Uh, they played against each other five or six other times over the years, and then they were co-coordinators together at Boston College, Adazio's first two years. So they spent a lot of bad spring practices going up against each other. So Ryan Day went into that game knowing the answers or knowing the questions to the test. And if you have better athletes, which they clearly did, uh, poor, what was it, Brandon Watson? Poor Brandon Watson, he was the answer. Um, you know, they and they, they knew what Don Brown was going to run. And here's the thing, Don Brown doesn't come at you with a lot of different stuff. It's man, it's press, it's, it's zone. Uh, Day told me after that game that, Haskins didn't miss one blitz pickup. So that's because he knew the blitzes because he just knows Don Brown's repertoire from everything. So I think that offensive explosion can be linked to extreme familiarity. And Don Brown has shown in big games like Penn State last year, et cetera, that he does not have the ability to adjust when things start to go downhill. And that's what happened. So that is what I attribute that to against Michigan I just can't ignore all the prior results that got up there. Now, Urban Meyer's a great big game coach, great record with an under as an underdog. Like a lot of that fueled in seven and zero and and everything like that. Home field, like I, I do think there was some of that emotional stuff. Like it had been an emotionally rocky season for Ohio State, and Urban is still the master of sort of whipping a team up into a frenzy and shooting them out onto the field um, in in an underdog situation like that. So that's my take, Pat. Uh, okay. You think All the Buckeyes right. are going to roll, don't you? Well, I think they're going to win. I think they're going to win and cover, too. I mean, the number seven, you know, I, I picked them by 10. Um, I, I think it's strength on strength. I think Ohio State offense against the Washington defense. Washington defense is very good. Ohio State offense, man, if they if they click like they did against Michigan, I just I, – not only Haskins, who was phenomenal, but, man, the receivers are good. They're fast. If they catch the ball and he hits them on the numbers when they're moving, they're not going to get tackled. Uh, you've got you've got running backs who can catch the ball out of the backfield. So I, I, I just think they've got enough weapons. And, again, this the Pac-12 has not been good. Washington is the best team in a bad league. I think there's a gap between the best team in the Pac-12 and the best team in the Big Ten, a uh, fairly significant gap. And the Washington – Offense is not very good. You know, Jake Browning, to me, has been overrated, really, uh, throughout much of his career. Uh, he had a phenomenal start early on, and then he just kind of plateaued, and I don't think he's been great. What Washington number 60 offense in the country, not 16, 6 between East Carolina and Colorado State. They have not been great offensively, so I don't think even a, even a susceptible Ohio State defense isn't going to be overmatched there. So, again, Urban Meyer last game – uh, Washington from a not as good league, Ohio State from a better league. Uh, skill positions. I like the Buckeyes to get some uh, some big plays there and to to be able to win the game. So, see, I think Ohio State's defense is the worst in school history. They've got to be in yeah. that fifty sixty range, right? Uh, uh, I, maybe even worse than they. Yeah, I think they're like sixty seven. Ohio State sixty seven defensively. Yeah. They have been worse against, per se, college offenses. You know, like Purdue, maybe like schemes that trend more to spread and tempo and such. Uh, they've been playing a lot of man, and that's what killed them against Purdue because they just get Rondell Moore in matchups and just Isaiah Pryor just got smoked time after time. And Shiano finally started playing some zone in the Michigan State game. That that made a little bit of a difference going down the stretch. But I feel like uh, I feel like I feel like 
Washington's in a nice little vulture position here. So maybe so. And again, a lot of it does go down to come down to focus and motivation. So we'll see where that lies. But I do think they will want to send Meyer out uh, in a good note. So I, I, I like the Buckeyes there. Win, cover. Uh, and then the Sugar Bowl, the last of the non-playoff uh, games. Uh, 8.45 New Year's night. A good, good matchup. Big 12 second-best team against the SEC's second-best team. Texas against Georgia. Georgia's a big favorite, 11 points. Pete, what do you think? So I really like Georgia in this game. I feel like Tom Herman will approach this game a little bit like he did uh, when he was at Houston and they played Florida State. Like, they're an underdog. Nobody thinks they're going to win. Double-digit underdog. I feel like it's sort of a license to let Herman throw the kitchen sink at them. Maybe he'd do something like fake punt on fourth and 11 with the game on the line. I don't know. Um, no way. <laughs> nobody, nobody would be that dumb. No. Um, nobody's that dumb. Nobody in the history of college football would make such a poor decision. So... Um, yeah, I just feel like pound for pound, Georgia has evolved this season. I was from watching them get ragdolled against LSU. I was a little bit biased, but they've clearly gotten to become a much tougher evolved team, better play calling. I just think, you know, Georgia is an A program right now and Texas is a B and that gap will be shown through trench play through better quarterback play, uh, yeah, I, I feel like Texas could struggle to move the ball a little bit in this game. And, uh, yeah, I feel like Georgia wins 30-14. to 14. Okay, I, I, I like Georgia to win. I don't like Georgia to cover that big a number. Texas, as we've said, every game is close. Uh, That's it, true. it ended up being 12 points for them in the last meeting against Oklahoma, but that was kind of like, you know, a late play here, late play there sort of thing. Uh, so I expect it to be relatively close. And I – am very much on hangover watch for the Bulldogs because same deal we talked about like with Auburn last year you come close you get to the SEC championship game especially you've got Alabama beaten for the second year in a row and you let them get away for the second year in a row what is the psychological letdown from that and then you got to turn around and play another game that you really don't care about and I've seen some SEC uh, teams go into New Orleans and lay big fat eggs in those situations. Florida against Louisville uh, in 2012, Alabama against Utah in 2008, uh, Alabama against Oklahoma uh, one year as well, where you, you're not playing in the playoff and or a, or the BCS championship game, and you go in and stink it up. Now, again, I think Georgia is going to win for the reasons you you. I, I think your your analogy is very good. A program versus B program. But they better be at least marginally ready because I, I am concerned it will at least be close if they are are they're not if they're not ready. So, most important question about this game: uh, your son Clayton, who is a swimmer at Georgia, will he be attending the festivities in New Orleans? Oh no, no, he will be attending practice <laughs> over practice. The, oh yeah, over uh, the the course of the the winter holiday, they kill them. Oh, really? it, is, it is not a good time to be a swimmer during the Christmas break. You, you get to come mm. home for a little bit. Some of them get to go on fun, like warm weather trips. Georgia does not. Georgia goes to the pool twice a day, and they murder you uh, all break. So he'll be watching on TV uh, and hoping he stays awake long enough because they gotta, they're going to have to swim again probably the next morning. So 
Well, that's just that's... depressing. I was picturing him like <laughs> out on Bourbon Street or Frenchman Street, like oh no, having oh, a great no. time. And uh, yeah, that's quite the opposite. Waking up early yeah. to swim. I got him tickets to the championship game last year, and they were able to do that. I remember in, in that. Atlanta. Yeah, and it just turned out actually Georgia was in. I got him tickets before we even knew who was going to be in it. So. Nope, no fun to be had. But there will be fun, Pete, at Jerry World. Playoff games. Let's talk the two playoff games. I'm going to be in Arlington. You're going to be in Miami. Uh, Let's talk the Arlington game first because it is the first of the two. uh, For your TV watching pleasure, for the listeners, Clemson, Notre Dame, 4 o'clock, December 29th. Clemson, a fat 11-point favorite. What do you think? First of all, I'm glad that that's the first game because that potentially gives me like an entire day in Fort Lauderdale to go to the beach. So, <laughs> Well, certainly by 4 o'clock, you'll be in front of the television. Obviously. But yeah, yeah. like from 10 to 2, that's a nice little window, you know? Um, so Wait, yeah. you're not going to be watching the Nova, Loans, Nova Home Loans Arizona Bowl between Arkansas State and Nevada? I'll watch it on my phone. The Belk Bowl between South Carolina and Virginia earlier that day? Of course I will watch every second of those delectable bowl games. Of course. Of course. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, I live up in the Northeast. It was like 11 degrees today when I I left my condo. So I'm good. Like, I'll uh, I'll take a little afternoon in the sun before a long long night of work. Uh, You know? Yes. I don't begrudge you at all. Yes. Uh, So that said, so... Notre Dame's interesting, right? Because, like, they're 12-0, and 0, and they have, like, one good win, right? I mean, one, like, really great stand-on-the-table win. Um, I did think it was interesting, after the uh, Yankee Stadium game against Syracuse, I asked Dino Babers, I said, all right, you've seen Notre Dame, you've seen Clemson, they're probably going to play each other, what do you think? And he was very quick, and again, this doesn't help the ACC or, or anything like that. He was very quick to be like, oh, no. Notre Dame is Notre Dame is good. He's like people are underestimating their their overall talent level. He said Notre Dame is good, which I thought was interesting. Um, mm-hmm. In a good insight. So this is why I think Notre Dame covers but doesn't win. If you look at the teams that have given Clemson fits, it's the teams that play at a tempo and can spread the ball around and neutralize their defensive line. All right, the Alex Bars injury may be the most prevalent personnel thing in this game because Clemson obviously has the four monster defensive linemen it's been one of the biggest storylines of the season I mean they're just it, and they've they've pretty much lived up to it the Cleveland Farrells and the Christian Wilkins and big Dexter Lawrence uh they've been productive they've been dominating and they have they have blown people up but if you look back the last two years who they've struggled against Clemson it's been Syracuse they barely beat them down there now again their quarterback got hurt in both of those games. Two years both ago, it was Kelly Bryant games. in the in, in the Carrier Dome. But, like, Syracuse still had to move the ball. And if you can spread the ball around and you can get some tempo going and you can neutralize that D-line, and that's who Ian Book is, right? He's not the most dynamic quarterback in the world, but he is accurate and he can get the chains moving and they can be creative enough, Chip Long will be creative enough on the perimeter and – Clemson's back four is just okay, and their linebackers are average. So if Notre Dame can get to the second level, which I think they'll have some degree of success doing, um, and the way their offense is designed is to move the ball against a defense that the strength is Clemson's. So that said, I do think Clemson wins. 
I do think it's a good game and a close game. I don't think it is a blowout like a lot of people have projected. So I am going to take the Irish, and I think Clemson is going to beat them 31-27. to 27. Okay. Uh, you know what? I hope you're right. I hope it's. I hope it is a competitive game because I'm covering it, and I'd like to cover a good game. Uh, I've covered too many Alabama playoff games that were not competitive, so including last year when they steamrolled Clemson. In I'll the, take in that the bullet semifinal. for you this year. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you will. Um, but I think I think Clemson wins and covers. And look, no disrespect to Notre Dame, they've had a very good season. I think they have overachieved to a degree. Uh, I'm with you on the Alex Barr's injury. I think this is the game where that perhaps looms largest those creatures on the defensive line are going to make life difficult for ian book ian book is a really really good quarterback who gets the most of his out out of his ability mostly because i think he has command of the offense he's decisive with the ball he knows where to go he knows who's going to be open and he's shifty enough to move around and do some things on his feet but shifty versus you're going to have to be better than shifty you're going to have to be a freak to get away from these defensive linemen i think and they're going to be on him it's going to be difficult to run. And I'm going to throw some uh, some cold water revisionism on your Syracuse theory here about them giving them trouble. Syracuse had 311 total yards in that game at Clemson. Trevor Lawrence got hurt. Syracuse eked its way to 27 points, seven of which were set up by a fumbled punt on like the 15-yard line. Syracuse didn't go up and down the field on on Clemson. Nobody has gone up and down the field on Clemson, really. Now, South Carolina passed for 500, but that was kind of one of those freak show games where everybody's moving up and down. Uh, A&M had some luck passing against them, but I, I just think I think you're going to have to give Book enough time to find guys, and I, I just don't see that happening. So I think this sets up very well for Clemson. And I was up at Notre Dame and South Bend, and you know you can kind of read into what people are saying in answering questions to find out how they feel. And yes, A, Notre Dame feels disrespected and motivated by that, you know, and feels like they shouldn't be that big an underdog. But the underlying concerns you could hear there, guys in space, defensively, can we hang with their guys in space? You know, when they spread it out, can they throw into T. Higgins when ETN is running the ball because they've got Notre Dame spread out over the field? They're concerned, I think, about the athletic matchups on the perimeter. So I think that's where Clemson takes advantage. My takeaway from what you just said is better than Shifty would have been a great name for like an 80s punk band. <laughs> it would have been good. How about, might, be, might be a good racehorse name. Better yes. than Shifty. Yes, you know? better, than, better than Shifty. You could, have, you could have Shifty and then he has a son and you name that one better than Shifty. If he is indeed <laughs> faster. So, you know, that's, I'm going to the breeding shed with that one. Yeah, Scott Satterfield told me on the phone this week, I called him about transfer quarterbacks. He said he's never been to the Derby. Wow! Oh yeah, he's gonna have to uh, have to get. He's he. That's gonna be a welcome to Louisville moment. There. Yeah, he was blown away that like they end the semester at school early enough to allow everyone to go to the Derby. They're oh just- hell yes! <laughs> and the public schools are out on Oaks Day. I mean, there is no school on yeah. Oaks Day. Yeah, nobody goes to school. So I mean, if you can go gamble on horses, why would you go to school? You know, why the valuable math lessons you can learn. From- I mean, come on, absolutely. You figure out the mathematical, yeah, how to how to bet an exacta and what the payouts are going to yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he'll get his introduction. He All will. Right. Bet on better than shifty. Better than shifty. Eight to one. <laughs> okay. Uh, the Orange Bowl, the other semifinal. Alabama, Oklahoma. Um, I mean, this game has a lot of sex appeal, Pete. The one and two finishers in the Heisman. 
Uh, Nick Saban, in my mind, the greatest defensive coach in the history of college football. Lincoln Riley, the rising star of offensive football. A lot to to love about this game, but maybe some stuff to hate as well. I'll I'll let you go first. What are your thoughts? Alabama favored by 14, by the way. I I feel like this game has all the sex appeal of Roseanne Barr in a lingerie catalog. I just don't see how Oklahoma stops them. Like, I, I feel like it's very simple. Like, Alabama doesn't even have to throw the ball. Just line up and run it and pound it straight down their throat. And I don't feel like Oklahoma has answers defensively for that. They have the number 96 defense in the country. Um, Obviously, some of that is because their offense hamstrings their defense, et cetera, et cetera. I get it. And Nick Saban just needs a way to figure out three stops. And there's enough talent on that defense to find three stops. I don't think it's a huge – I don't think that's a huge issue at all. So, uh, again – Love the dueling Heisman angle. Like, there's a lot of fun stuff here, right? Like, the, this generation's next great offensive coach versus the, the current past generation's best defensive coach. Like, there's awesome storylines here. But the problem is one program just isn't the same strata as the other. And that, to me, devalues how good this game's going to be. I just don't feel like it's going to be an elite-level game between two elite-level teams because Oklahoma just lags so far behind i feel like we're on a collision course to uh clemson bama four what else can you say right like i feel like it's i feel like it's coming um i already looked up what what happens after a trilogy i forget the name of it it's like a, something <laughs> yeah. a g but the, yeah the, the quadrilogy i don't know yeah but I, I i feel like we're there i mean i feel like you can you can drill in the numbers and analyze this game to death i don't really unless like Oklahoma flips the switch to start, and there's a special teams touchdown. I, I just don't feel like they can play with Alabama for four quarters. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. I I mean, I picked the, I picked Alabama to score sixty, so that tells you what I think as far as whether or not they can be stopped by this Oklahoma defense. I mean, this is a defense that gave up three hundred and forty-eight rushing yards to Kansas. Defense that gave up five hundred and one passing yards to Oklahoma State. 539 to West Virginia, 416 to Baylor. I mean, their last, here's yards per play, which, you know, is everybody's thing. November and December games this year, 6.66 yards per play for Texas Tech, 7.44 for Oklahoma State, 8.19 for Kansas, 7.82 for West Virginia, 6.33 for Texas. I mean, that defense has just been gouged over and over and over again, and I don't know what you can do in four weeks' time other than new personnel to fix that, and that you can't get. We don't have. There is no waiver wire in college football, so they're stuck with the players they got. Um, I just, I think, and you know, while Saban will downplay this every chance he gets, and actually all the Alabama players will too, I'm sure, but. Will they be <clears throat> a little extra motivated in top of the, you know, the, the, the obvious motivation, but will they be a little extra motivated to put some, some hits on Kyler Murray and to say, Hey, our guy was the better guy. He should have won the Heisman. I, I think there will be a little bit of that. If you need just a little extra juice, uh, that's going to be there for them. And I think Tua will be, if he's provided the ankle is okay. Uh, that's, that's the only factor I think that makes this game close is if, Two is not okay. Um, yes, Jaylen, I agree Jaylen, with that. That's a different. Yeah. It's a different story. If if it's Jalen, it could be close. But if it's right. Tua, I don't think it's close. Yeah, because Tua is not going to make mistakes. Right. If it's Jalen, they score forty instead of sixty, 
and then yeah. you got a game. But uh, but if it's Tua, you know, just the way he throws the deep ball and the way – I mean, receivers have been so open against that Oklahoma secondary. And these are the best receivers in the country. Yeah. Jerry Judy, Irv Smith, Jalen Waddell, you know. I mean, so I think it sets up extremely well for uh, the Crimson Tide. Now, Pete, if it is – you know, we're, we will. I, I I tell the listeners this: we will have a humongous breakdown of the championship game, whoever is in it. But we are both expecting Clemson, Alabama. So yes. if that is the matchup, how do you see that one? I think that's a really good game, boy. Uh, so do I. Yeah, I really do. I don't think it is a uh, it is a walk off for the Tide by any means. I think. I think pound for pound, Clemson can hang with them, play with them. They can they they will not get pushed around in that game. They won't be intimidated. They'll be motivated. And Trevor Lawrence is is a difference maker. Uh, I had a coach tell me this year that he thinks Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback prospect in college football since Peyton Manning. Woo! And Trevor Lawrence will be able to go back. I, I feel like. Clemson's got some creatures at receiver. I don't know how many people have really tested this Alabama defense this year. You know, it's a good Alabama defense. And again, may you all be so good as Alabama, but it's not one of the most dominating defenses that uh, that Nick Saban has had over the years. And uh, yeah, I do wonder if DJ Durkin is uh, is in Tuscaloosa right now because Nick maybe isn't completely satisfied with what he's getting out of that defensive coordinator position from uh, Tosh LePoy and Pete Golding. Um, right. Obviously, DJ was a very good defensive coordinator at Michigan before he got the uh, Maryland job. So, I, uh, I, you know, we can we can dive into that when it inevitably occurs. But and obviously, our live pod uh, in San Jose will be a lot about that game. I would think. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, Wetzel will be we'll there, so there'll only be so much football that he'll <laughs> allow us to talk about. We'll, we'll th- drag him into some football yes. talk on that one. Yes, he can. He can break down uh, Toledo's two-star quarterback that he thinks is the steal of. <laughs> Signing day. Um, I think the difference to me that that allows Clemson to at least make that game competitive is Trevor Lawrence. You know, last year it was Kelly Bryant, and he was just overmatched in that game when the, when they met in the semifinals. Clemson threw for 124 yards in that game. They just couldn't throw the ball, and so Alabama was just like everybody to the line of scrimmage, stop the run, and we'll see about Kelly Bryant. And Kelly Bryant couldn't do it. Trevor Lawrence can do it. Uh, now it's a lot to ask for a freshman, but uh, it's uh, it's a spot where uh, I think that they they do have somebody that that will prevent that from being the mismatch that it was in 2017 if it is Alabama and Clemson in uh, in the 2018 championship game. So uh, I you know I think that's the matchup we're headed towards. It'll be a lot of fun if we get there, but a lot of fun to be had first in these New Year's Six bowl games. Uh, appreciate you all tuning in again. Uh, if you are going to be in the San Jose area during championship weekend, we would love to have you at the uproar brewery, uh, to come out and see our live podcast. Uh, it's free to attend prizes and giveaways, beer specials, and you can do a live Q and a with us after the podcast, after we are done bloviating, we can then bloviate one-on-one with you all, so it should be a lot of fun. Pete, uh, uh, I, I, I am sure that you have a, a particular type of beer, at least in mind, that you would like to have when we get to the to the Uproar Brewery. So I, I'm, I'm a bit of an IPA guy. I'm also a golden ale guy. So there you go. I, those are those are two uh, two that I would go. Do you, are you going to get the, what was it, the Bassy Brass? Uh, <laughs> I'm all about the... 
I'm all about the IPA, and then yeah, when the show's over, I'm going for that. Uh, oh, the, the eight point the one. mussels yeah. from Brussels one. Yes, like there the eight point six percent. Yeah. So. God, if you think he's insufferable sober on this podcast, <laughs> just wait till he has a few of those beer mussels from Brussels. Yeah. Yeah. Look I'll, out. I'll be look in my Uber by then. <laughs> no, you won't. Nope. We're stay- keeping you out. Keeping you out. So, anyway, thanks for listening in to all of our picks all season. Uh, We appreciate it, and uh, enjoy uh, the holidays, and we will talk to you all very soon on the podcast. Thank you. Happy New Year, everybody.